0: Welcome to Refresh, a podcast designed to revive, recharge, and renew your faith and give you the tools to follow Jesus. Refresh comes to you from the Salvation Army in Gwinnett County, Georgia. We meet in person every Sunday at 10.30 a.m. or online on Facebook and YouTube at Sal Army Gwinnett. We are excited that you have joined us this week and pray that God will bring his word to life. And now, for our speaker. Now, if you were to open your Old Testament and you were to look at the order of the books and look at the layout of the land, what you would find is that the period between the end of the Babylonian captivity, found around in Daniel, somewhere around that zone right there all the way to the last book, to the end of the Old Testament, is often referred to as the Reconstruction Era. That's what, that's what scholars would call that little zone or that little section of the Scripture. You see, when they, the Israelites, were set free from Babylonian captivity, this was the period in their history that the move back was overseen by a handful of leaders with the mission to rebuild the temple that's what they were doing they were going to rebuild the temple that was lost before them and this was done so that they can of course start the traditional worship as they have done before and so this, this group of leaders would go and, and would make sure that the temple was being built in correct order now I have to say, when you read that section of the scripture, we we learn and we see that it took about 20 years to rebuild that temple. Now, it's not because of how extravagant it was, that it was over the top or anything like that. In fact, it was considerably smaller than the previous one. But it was because the people were just not motivated. They seemed disconnected from what that temple meant to their forefathers. See, God, because of this, God spoke to many, many prophets at the same time, giving multiple warnings during the Reconstruction era. He was to, trying to wake them up, to shake them just a little bit. Prophets like Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi, and Joel were all during this time. All of these prophets, each one of them, which can be found at the end of the Old Testament, give warning that only one thing comes from disobedience, from their lack of zeal that they were missing. They were telling them over and over again that it will always lead to captivity. Not just physically, but spiritually. The prophets reminded them often of the words that were spoken to the great kings of the past, as written in 2 Chronicles that says, the Lord sent them his messengers, because he had compassion on his people and on his dwelling place. But they kept mocking the messengers of God, despising his words and scoffing at his prophets until the wrath of God rose against his people, until there was no remedy. The prophets of the Reconstruction era began to start prophesying and we read this often in each of their, of their books and of their account, they began to prophesy that Israel will once again fall under captivity. But this time, when it happens this time, it will bring with it a new covenant, a new son of David. And just like how they have mistreated the temple with discontent. They will also treat this new son of David the same way. And then the Lord spoke to Zechariah and said, I will pour out on the house of David a spirit of grace. They will look on him, the one they have pierced, and they will mourn for him as ones who mourn for an only child. And grieve bitterly for him as one's grieve for a firstborn son. On that day, the Lord says, the weeping in Jerusalem will be great. And the land of Israel will mourn. Father, we pray now that your spirit of truth fall on us. That, God, as we're diving in through the scriptures, that it is your gospel, your words, Lord, that are being preached and being spoken. And that, Father, if I say anything that is not from you, then wipe it away from my lips. God, I pray that all of us walk out of our door there in this church today, knowing what it is exactly you have called your people to live by and to do. And, Lord, I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Wow. Welcome. It's good to see you all. As already mentioned, um, my wife is at youth councils this weekend. So you're lucky I'm here at all. I've been a single dad for this weekend. You know, my kids, they're here, right? Oh, they're in their children's church. Oh, thank goodness. Okay, good. They're dressed. They're somewhat fed. And uh, we're waiting for mom to arrive uh, this afternoon. Uh, and then, of course, tomorrow morning, it just so happens that my wife is getting on an airplane to go to Chicago for a conference. The Lord is testing me. <laughs> it's almost as if he's just dangling it just for a moment for a night. She's back, and then she takes it. She's ripped away again. Uh, but I, I have a feeling uh, we will persevere. We will get through this. Uh, my kids have... Uh, I've mentioned many times how much they miss mom already. I don't know if I'm, how I'm supposed to take that, you know. I also want to just give a little, just a minute. Didn't the songsters sound beautiful? As always. I mean, I don't think I've ever heard a time where, that where I walked out going, man, they just sounded terrible. I don't think that's ever happened. They just sound gorgeous every time. But I want to mention that the piece that we just heard today was actually composed by our own Commissioner Paul Kellner. And so he composed that piece that the Lord laid on his heart. And as still today we're singing it for his glory. So Commissioner, thank you for that composite. We appreciate that. Well, today is the fifth Sunday of Lent. It's kind of gone by pretty quick, I think. Uh, uh, we, we didn't do the traditional Lent thing that we would normally do because we had our Holiness Retreat they were kind of in the middle of this, so we were focused on really wanting to, to really get that weekend and want God to do what he's going to do. But these last couple of weeks, we've been uh, looking at the different uh, times, and specifically the three times that Jesus predicted his death. And, and we know in Scripture he did that three specific times. Now, could he have done it more? Maybe so, but we have it written three times. Now, the first time, if you remember, was he was with the entire group of the disciples, all of them together. And he kind of just said, hey, it, this is going to happen. I'm, I'm, you're ready now. You're, you're big boys. You've got to hear this. I'm, go- I'm not going to be here for much longer. And if you remember, that's when Peter pulled him to the side and said, hey, listen, do you, uh, for the sake of the other guys, I'm really going to need you to knock off this death talk, if you don't mind. It's not doing well for the guys. And then the second time, what we, we highlighted last week, was the moment on the Mount of Transfiguration. And on the way down, with just Peter, James, and John, he then reveals again that, that it's going to happen. It's going to happen where I'm not going to be with you. In fact, I'm, gonna I'm it's going to be crucified. It's not going to look pretty. But he always reminded them that there's something going to happen three days later. Always something's going to happen. And so today, when we look at the scripture that was read today by John, is that it's taking just a place a little bit further. It's not right after the Mount of Transit, it's a little bit down the road. But that this scripture says that the entire group, so all of them, were actually heading somewhere, they were traveling on a path toward Jerusalem and we can gather, gather by the context of the scripture, is that they were heading toward the Passover. It was that season. Quite honestly, the season we're in right now. And so it would be around this time that they would be traveling toward Jerusalem for the Passover. And the scripture says that's what they were doing. They were on the path. Now, this would be a very common thing that every devout Jew would do to travel to Jerusalem at this time of the year. It would be something you had on the calendar that you know you're going to be looking forward to. You're going to head to Jerusalem. Now remember, Jesus is not from Jerusalem. That's not, that's not where he grew up. That's not where his, his friends are. You know That's not where he hung out. He's not from Jerusalem. It would have been a place that he would have to travel to and usually go to for a reason. And what we know here is that it would be a safe assumption, a safe, you know, that Jesus would have gone to Jerusalem multiple times in his life, not just the handful of times that we have in Scripture, but that he would have made that, tra- that, that journey multiple times, in addition just to the annual Passover, but for other reasons as well. Now, I want to point out that in Scripture, there's actually only seven unique, specific times that it is mentioned that Jesus went to Jerusalem. Now, when we comb through the scriptures, we have chapters of him being in Jerusalem, but it may be only for one of the visits. But if we actually look through the Gospels, there are seven unique times where we can count. We can actually track where he was in the city and then left, and then back again. And those seven different times are When Jesus was presented at the temple when he was around 42 days old. When his parents went and presented them at the temple. When he was teaching at the temple at the age of 12. When Satan took him to the top of the temple to tempt him. He was there for that. When Jesus clears the temple tables from the money changers the first time. He did that a couple of times. That was like one of his trademarks. But the first time we know that he was there, it was a unique visit for that. When Jesus healed the lame man at the pool of Bethesda, that was another temple visit. When Jesus was teaching at one of the feasts outside of the Passover, the Feast of Booths, he was there. And of course, the triumphal entry on the back of a donkey. You know, that that was another journey to Jerusalem. And so this third and final time that Jesus predicts his death as he's telling the disciples that that the time is near, is right before, the the, the timeline is right before his last entry into the great city of Jerusalem. So this would be right before his entrance on the back of a donkey. So we know by scripture, he's made multiple visits there. He's familiar with the city, he knows it. Now, another thing I I found was interesting was that three of the four Gospels actually record this moment in Scripture, him talking to his disciples. Matthew, Mark, and Luke all have a recording of this moment. As short as that Scripture was, it was important enough to put it in. Now, these different accounts between these different writers are very important to note. Matthew, he would have been a first-hand account, Matthew was with him. He would have been in the actual crowd that Jesus pulled aside. And so Matthew's account would have been a first hand, I was there, I heard it come straight from his mouth. And this is Matthew's account. But Mark and Luke, however, would not have been there. They wouldn't have been in that crowd. They would have been walking with Jesus on that day. Unlike Matthew, their books were geared toward Gentiles to the non-Jewish community. That's who they were writing for. Mark, whose full name was John Mark, so we actually, the book is named after his last name, his surname. And so John Mark never spent any time with Jesus. All the scholars can agree on this. He came to the church after the resurrection. Mark had become very close with Peter. He just really connected with Peter. Spent a lot of time with them in Jerusalem, in the early church. And so it is actually widely believed that Mark's account, his book, if you will, would have primarily been from his conversations with Peter about what had happened when he was with Jesus. So really, some scholars say that Peter's or or that Mark's book is kind of almost like Peter's memoir of the account. Of course, Mark took some other things and he put that in there as well. But they believe, they think that really Peter was a real piece of that book. And interestingly, Mark really spent a lot of time emphasizing Christ's humanity. His humanity. His human side. We get a lot of that in Mark. When we read through Mark, it's a lot about his humanity. How he was tired, how he was hungry, how he wept. We get a lot of that in Mark. Now Luke however, was a physician. He was a doctor. And he focused primarily in his book on his divinity, on his supernatural, the stuff that wasn't from this world. That's what Luke wanted to focus on. And this is very evident when we read his account, that he was really focused on his divinity. Luke spent a lot of time, and if you read through it, you'll pick this up. He spent a lot of time telling the stories of Jesus's healing miracles there's a lot of those in there a lot of healing of the blind healing of the lame you know of the mute he spent a lot of time really focusing on those healing miracles and honestly that's probably not too much surprise because Luke was a man of medicine this fascinates him that I have to study and use what the world can give me to try to heal someone but this man he can just say it and they're healed he wants to say there's something there. Like he has something we don't have. And that's why he focuses on this divinity that he's not from us. He's, he, may be, he may have been born, but he's not from us. And we can read that through Luke. And so what we know here is that now on this particular scripture is that all three accounts have Jesus walking with his disciples to Jerusalem. Jerusalem. Now, Matthew only mentions the 12 of them. He just says, well, the 12 of them were walking to Jerusalem. But Mark actually mentions that there were others there. And they were most likely the pilgrims who were going to the Passover. So this road that they were traveling, it's not hard to believe that it wouldn't just be them. It would have been a busy road from where they were coming to go into the great city for the Passover. So it would have been just, I mean, I can imagine dozens, hundreds maybe, walking on this road, and Jesus is just, and his disciples are with them, walking up. But the scripture says here that Jesus pulls them to the side. It actually takes them off the road. He says, everyone come here, off to the side. And he pulls them off. And see here, Jesus knows, he already knows that on this path, on this journey to, to Jerusalem, he knows what it means. He knows what's going to happen on just that side of the gate. That this is going to be the last time that he's ever going to enter those gates. The last days that he's going to have with his disciples. And that this perhaps maybe even be the last moments, to pierce their hearts before he is pierced. And so he tells them, he pulls them to the side and he says we're going up to Jerusalem now and everything, listen everything that is written by the prophets about the son of man will be fulfilled. He will be handed over to the Gentiles. They will mock him insult him, spit on him Flog him and my disciples. He will kill them. But on the third day, he will rise again. And the scripture says right here, the scripture says that the disciples did not understand what Jesus was trying to say. They didn't get it. They didn't understand the world. Why are you telling us this? You see, the description... That Jesus gave of the Son of Man did not fit into their perception or even the teachings that they would have set under of the Messiah. The idea of a suffering Messiah would not have been taught in the synagogues. It would not have been taught. Because of the Roman oppression, the people needed a strong political military Messiah so that's what they gave them. None, not one of the prophets that ever speak of the Messiah ever mention any of these traits. None of them. But like the generations before them, they do as they please. They teach as they please. This is why Jesus tells them. He pulls them aside. He says all things, everything that the prophets have written will happen to me the things they have written will happen to me not what you're being taught but what is written that's what's going to happen to me i am the suffering servant that isaiah speaks of i am the passover lamb found in exodus i am the one that zacharias speaks of who will be pierced And just as Moses lifted up the bronze snake in the wilderness for all of Israel to be healed, I too will be lifted before the entire world so that all who believe may be saved. This is the Messiah the Father has sent to you. But fear not. Just as King David wrote in his psalm, the Son of Man will rise on the third day. And at this, he took his disciples and he continued them on to the journey to Jerusalem. Back into the flow, back into the traffic, and onward to the city. Church, how lucky we are to be on this side of the resurrection. To see all of the prophecies of the Messiah come true to have the context of the entire Old Testament and watch it come to pass, just as it is written. Now there's something to be said about that, as it was written. Our first doctrine states that the scriptures of the Old and New Testament are the inspired word of God. And Jesus, throughout all of his ministry, was battling not only sin to save us from sin and corruption and evil, but he was constantly battling false teachings. They were taught that the Messiah was going to be something that he was not. And when the Messiah was standing right before them, when he was standing in front of their eyes, they did not recognize him. They did not recognize the sound of their shepherd's voice. They were all sheep wandering in the wilderness. And what about us? Do we know the sound of his voice? Are we wandering lost as well? If we read, teach, and preach what is written, then our hearts, souls, and minds will be one with him. That when he calls your name, you will come close. Because you know him. Your name, you will come close. It's when we preach and teach outside of the scriptures. When we make Jesus something he is not. And when we, at that point, can only cause confusion and chaos. By our words, we must not preach a gospel that points to man, but only to the cross. And as I was preparing for today, and I was looking into the scripture and reflecting on the words that Jesus gave his disciples, and, how, and, and many times in all the scriptures that says the disciples did not understand, the words of our founder actually came to mind from over 100 years ago when he said the chief danger that confronts the coming century will be religion without the Holy Ghost, Christianity without Christ, forgiveness without repentance, salvation without regeneration, politics without God and heaven without hell. On the way to Jerusalem, Jesus pulled his disciples to the side. Notice that. Don't, 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 Don't just gloss over that. That I'm in the midst of everything that's happening on the path, on the road to Jerusalem, Jesus told his disciples to come to the side. Outside of the traffic flow of the world. He says, come here. I want to tell you something. And he pointed, he he wants to give full authority to the word. He gives the authority to the written word. He pointed out that what, what is about to happen, once we get to that city, it will be it will happen as it is written because my father is the alpha and the omega the word the actual authority of the word was in the garden when the when the serpent strikes it was there when the ark was protected by the floodwaters it was on mount moriah when abraham was provided the ram the word Passed over to all the houses in Egypt that were covered with the blood of the lamb. It stopped the flowing waters of the Jordan so that His people can go into the Promised Land. It was presented at the anointing of King David. It oversaw the construction of the temple, and even when the nation was divided into two, the word did not waver, nor did it compromise. It was the word that actually brought revival to Israel when King Josiah rediscovered its lost transcripts. The word fell from heaven onto earth the day Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego were thrown into that fire. And now, standing before you, my disciples, is the word. For the word has become flesh. I am who I am. Do you believe that this morning? Do you believe that Jesus is the Messiah? Is the Word in flesh? Is the power and authority of our Father? The Scripture says that the disciples did not understand what. He was speaking of and what about you what do you understand about jesus do you know truly who he is the jesus that is written and not the jesus that has been formed because now more than ever it would seem that we have a lot of different versions of who he is ones that can fit into any box that we want to check. But I caution you that the only Jesus truly is, is only written in the word. And so more than anything I will ever say, words that ever come out of my mouth have no authority greater than him. And so to find him, we must seek and search the word. We've got to get back our noses in there. Any church that is built otherwise will fail. Maybe the numbers will grow, but I'm telling you that it's eternity is what our sights are on. Is that this cannot be a church, cannot stand on solid ground without the written word. All of it is ordained and breathed by God, the Old and New Testament. I encourage you to take time in your weekly schedule to dive into it, to read it, to bathe in it. For when we do that, we are with him. I mean, that's, that's the thing, isn't it? Is that the scripture says the word became flesh. And so this means that when we are in the Word, we are united with God, with Him. For He is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one can get to the Father except through Him. Next week starts that Holy Week journey. Palm Sunday leading up to Good Friday and Easter. But now, this is the moment, this is the time to get your heart and your mind in a place to receive his word. A story that maybe we have heard a thousand times, but I do pray that it falls afresh on us. That we don't get lost in the retelling of the story. But it falls fresh on our hearts that when we walk out those doors over there, that we actually know what we're supposed to do, how we're supposed to live, and how we're supposed to be. So this morning, be with him. Amen. Thank you for listening to Refresh.